0: Hello and welcome to Multifamily Investing Made Simple in Under 10 Minutes, the podcast that's all about taking the complexity out of real estate investing so that you can take action today. And we're gonna do that today in under 10 minutes. And the topic of today's conversation is the ever elusive, always confusing preferred return. So Dan, what is this preferred return? Who prefers it? Who returns it? Go.
1: It sounds good. I mean, it's preferred. So that's like, mm,
0: and I do like returns. it's a yeah, big reason I like investing.
1: These are all good things, so mm-hmm. uh, so preferred return you'll see that term popping up if you're looking at uh, real estate investments, if you're looking at syndications, you're also going to see it uh, quite a bit in the private equity world. But what the heck is it? So the preferred return is essentially a way of putting uh, the investor first in a deal where the general partners, the guys steering the ship, uh, Anthony and myself in this situation, uh, would get paid after the, the limited partners on the deal. Specifically, after they've met, uh, they, when I say they, I mean limited partners, investors, uh, once they've met a certain annual rate of return. And that's what the preferred return is.
0: Yeah. So let's think about this through an actual example. Let's use some numbers. Let's say we have a deal that's offering an 8% preferred return. When the cash flow and the dividends are coming out, what that's saying is that you as the limited partner are entitled to uh, achieving an 8% return on your investment before we, the general partners, take our cut. And so in a future episode, we're going to break down the equity split and really talk about what that means and how it works. But for now, let's just take it very simply and say we have a 50-50 equity split. And so up until that 8%, you, the LP, is go- you're going to receive all of that return. And then everything above and beyond that 8% is going to be split between the LPs and the GPs 50-50. And so it's a really powerful way of creating alignment of interest between you, the limited partner, and your general partners. And the reason for that is because the general partners don't stand to make any money until they hit that minimum threshold return of 8%. Right. And so if the deal is underperforming at six percent throughout the life of its deal, that really sucks. But at least you can sleep easy knowing that the GP, they're not just collecting money over here um, while you're suffering.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it really um, I guess to kind of put some some more context or or provide another example, uh, what basically happens in practice is for uh, the entirety of the year, we're going to be issuing uh, distributions to investors on a quarterly basis. And so what effectively ends up happening is 100% of the operational profits go to the investors first for the first few quarters. And the general partners don't get paid until the end of the year because our investors need to achieve an 8% return first. Then after they get that 8%, everything is split per the equity split. In Anthony's situation, was, or example is 50-50. So what usually happens is the investors get paid all year long. And then at the end of the year, uh, the general partners get to take their piece. But it's only after the limited partners have have made their uh, preferred return first.
0: Yeah, let's talk the nuts and bolts of a couple of details here. Let's talk about does the preferred return accrue or not accrue? And what does that mean?
1: That's a good question. In layman's terms, the question might be, what if we don't make 8% in the first year? What happens then?
0: Oh, that's a good way. That's a good way of rephrasing it.
1: Because the word accrue, I think, scares off some people. But
0: what... what I got a love of frightened. Yeah.
1: yeah, you kind of gave away the answer to it there, the way you phrased the question. So if in the example where uh, we don't achieve said return, if your 8% ret- preferred return is what we're shooting for, we achieve a 5% for a given year. Uh, the way we structure our deals and the way a lot of people structure their deals, but not everybody. So you're going to have to ask about this. In that situation, uh, we would accrue that 2% and tack it on to the next year. So the next year's preferred return all of a sudden becomes 10% because we still owe you the two from the prior year. Uh, so that's an important little nuance that people should be aware of and they should be asking about when looking at uh, deals just having a preferred return okay that's the first hurdle uh, but does it accrue you know if we miss it that's very important
0: you know you just mentioned there that the first hurdle was does this deal have a preferred return do you think that deals should have a preferred return are there situations where it's okay for one to not have a preferred return and should our investors if, if a deal comes across their table that doesn't have a pref, that's what it's referred to in the the lingo there, people, is uh, the pref. So if you want to sound fancy, you can use that word. Should we avoid deals that don't have a preferred return?
1: No. No, I don't think so. I would look at, you know, the the deal itself and see if it's if it's a good deal. And I think right now the the baseline expectation from most investors is, is that there is a preferred return. So then the natural thought process after that it would would apply that a lack of one is bad. I wouldn't say that that is inherently bad. It might just be a really strong deal and the operators don't need to give a preferred return for everyone to do really well. You know, it's it's all there's no kind of blanket rule that would apply to everything, but I would definitely say that the expectation now is that there is one, and if there isn't one, there better be some other enticing aspect of that deal to, to really draw people in because that's going to be a, 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 something that might turn people away um, at first glance because they're so conditioned to think that this thing is needs to be there. But we always have it.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the popularity of, of syndications in the last couple of years have made it that the investors really have the pick of the litter. Like There's so many operators that they could work with, and so they have more deals that they could select between, and it's becoming more commonplace to have that preferred return. So you're seeing more operators offer it because it makes their deal a little bit more competitive in the eyes of the LPs, but it's not necessarily required by any means. And one of the interesting that things that happens now is if we have this expectation of a preferred return, well, what should that be? Is it 5%? Is it 7%? You know, some people will offer it at 8%. Is that better than a 6% pref? Should I go with this deal over that deal? So what's your thoughts on what makes for a good pref amount and should I should I lean towards one or the other?
1: You know, I don't I don't know if there's I don't I don't think it matters really, because I think one important detail that we didn't mention is that uh, preferred return is not a guaranteed return. So you could say your preferred return is whatever you want. I mean, if the deal is not strong enough to hit it, if maybe you say your preferred return is 15%. If you can ever hit the 15%, it, it doesn't matter. I mean, the GP doesn't get paid that way. But, you know, it's one of those things that could, it, It's it, it's nice, but it's not really going to, Matter that much in the grand scheme of things, because a strong deal is going to be a strong deal, and a crummy deal is going to be a crummy one. Uh, like I said, the, the the standard expectation is that there is a preferred return, um, and historically I've seen them anywhere from six to nine percent. And over the last two years, it seems like the expectation has gone more from like seven up to eight. But it also kind of depends on asset class as well, because uh, you could get into some uh, some other deals outside of multifamily, and you know the the preferred return expectations might be completely different.
0: Yeah. And the difference between a 6% and an 8% preferred return, I would say is pretty, pretty minimal going to your example before, like you could conceivably structure a deal with a 15% preferred return where it never actually hits that return until you go to sell the property. And so if you chose to do that deal, um, that, that doesn't make a lot of sense you know in the grand scheme of things because yeah you're getting that 15% at the very back end but it wasn't a strong deal on the merits and so I find it interesting when people start getting really nitpicky between like oh this deal's a seven percent pref, why not an eight percent It's like that's a one percent difference like it's more there for creating that alignment of interest than it is about you know having a big, return at the front end
1: yeah yeah and i think we've said it before on a lot of our content and i'll say it again because i think it is relevant with this conversation this topic the most important thing that people need to be doing is is aligning themselves with great operators if you've done that you've done most everything that needs to be done at that point you know you're going to be in a good deal if you're going around shopping for the highest preferred return you know you're likely going to find people that are you know you know, advertising higher returns is usually something that's, you know, a a sign that maybe they're, they're a little bit too ambitious. They're, they're, they're promising too much. So I don't think shopping around for the highest preferred return or total returns is the best approach at all. I think you need to just find the best operators and then whatever that deal structure ends up being is probably going to be your, your best option.
0: I agree fully. So that's going to do it for us uh, at Multifamily Investing Made Simple in under 10 minutes. That was the preferred return. Before you take off, head over to Apple, iTunes, Google, Spotify, wherever that you're listening to this podcast and drop a review. And we'll catch you guys next week.